0: Welcome back to Season 2, Episode 9 of Conversations with Saruti. Again, I am with Kyle Reese, and we are to the pinnacle, folks. We are to the top five prospects in the Cardinal system, according to Kyle's dirty flirty over at Birds on the, Bla- Birds on the Black. I don't know. Blurreds? Blurreds? I don't know what I'm trying to say there. <laughs> <laughs> So, at Birds on the Black, uh, Kyle, again, how are you? Uh... <laughs> Uh, just, just so you understand uh, response here we are um doing our fourth one of the evening because we have had such a rough try to get our schedules to line up correctly um so we have done these back to back to back to back so uh, i apologize for blurs and burds or whatever i was saying earlier and any other slip ups in this episode um but Again, guys, like I said last time, to get excited about these guys is not really hard. This is probably something we wouldn't do back to back to back to back if we were still on the like 25th through 21st prospects in the wow. system. But these guys, easy to talk about because there's so much intrigue there um, from so many areas of the fan base, and uh, so much intrigue there because these guys are so good and, and, and. and Let's just jump right in. Uh, I've alluded a few times to uh, we don't have many pitchers left here. Um, We've got number five is a shortstop. He did a little minuscule bit of pitching last year, at least uh, in games. Uh, Mason Wynn, who was taken in the 2020 draft. Um, Number four is left-handed pitcher Matthew Libertor, who um, until he does anything in Cardinal Red as opposed to Redbird Red, um he will be compared to randy rosarena who is who he came over no is that right yes who he came over and trade for um number three is a catcher who the cardinals in the last eight years or so always seem to have a catcher high on their list and always seem to have a catcher who's high on Most people's lists in all of Major League Baseball, this one is catcher Ivan Herrera, who follows in uh, Andrew Kisner and Carson Kelly's footsteps in that regard. And then Kyle will talk about uh, later his two number one prospects. No number two, there's uh, 1A and 1B, and those are both uh, third baseman by trade, but one of them is switched already. now uh, Jordan Walker, a third baseman drafted in 2020 and Nolan Gorman, a third baseman who is now working as a second baseman um, much of the time. Um, those names are kind of a wide variety of player. We've got some athleticism, well we've got a whole heck of a lot of athleticism. Um, we've got a left-handed pitcher, we've got a bunch of power. So this should be fun. Just looking at those five names, anything you want to say before we get into individuals, Kyle?
1: All five are pretty special. Uh, they're all they're all special, and they're all high upside, and they all could be uh, next-level talent for a team like the St. Louis Cardinals.
0: Awesome. So yeah. Mason Wynn, fifth on your list. First thing I want to talk about is, I know we're not getting to Justin Walker, or uh, Jordan Walker, good gravy, um, to Jordan Walker until <laughs> later, but will you talk about the connection between these two? Because this is so much fun. Mason wins one of those
1: guys who has chemistry with everyone. Uh, you definitely see it with Jordan Walker, and maybe it's more pronounced because of Jordan Walker's status as a top prospect, and because they both line up on the left side of the infield, so you have your third baseman and your shortstop kind of talking and chatting. And they definitely drive each other. They're both friends. Um, yeah, you know, when when and uh, Markeve and Hentz were going to go to Arkansas together. Uh, Jordan Walker was going to go to Duke, but they all played on prep national teams together. And uh, uh, But what you see with Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn is you see two high-caliber athletes, high-caliber competitors, pushing each other to the next level of their each respective development. Um, Jordan Walker was starting to put it together at Peoria before Mason Wynn got there in 2021. But it wasn't until Wynn got the promotion from Palm Beach to Peoria uh, and was back on that left side of that infield with Jordan Walker, where Walker started rediscovering some of that massive level success that Walker had at Palm Beach before getting promoted. Uh, We also saw some really great defensive plays, although there's some – we'll get to Jordan Walker. Saw some really great defensive plays by Jordan Walker – At third base. And the minute he would do something, he'd turn and look at Wynn. And the two of them would be smiling and they'd be jawing at each other and having fun with it. Uh, I don't want to talk about Jordan Walker here too much because that's not just Jordan Walker, that's Mason Wynn too. When you talk to pitchers on his teams, they say that he's the most talented pitcher that they have, and it's because he's an athlete and a baseball player. When you talk to the, the his fellow infielders on his teams, they'll say he's the most talented uh, infielder that they have, which speaks to his athleticism and his abilities. It's been well-documented thanks to a Baseball America article that not only does Mason Wynn have the best arm of any shortstop, any infielder at the minor league level, but it's potentially better than any arm at major league baseball too. Maybe the best arm from the shortstop position in baseball right now. Can't speak for the history of baseball, but for baseball right now. And that's out of a kid who spent half of the season at low A and half of the season at high A. It's special. It's special athleticism. It's special personality. It's special arm. It's special drive. It's special baseball IQ. Um, sure. There were some struggles at the plate specifically at Peoria, but one thing that never went away is all of those things that he does, all of those little intangibles on the base pass in the field, uh, that, that set him aside again, when it's easy to look at his stuff at Peoria and maybe be concerned. Uh, and it's easy to watch him at Peoria and be concerned, but with the dynamic of the shift of how minor league baseball was played in 2021 with the loss of short season clubs, with uh, the way that baseball at the minor league level changed following the lost 2020 COVID season. I'm not as worried about what he did at Peoria in 2021 as maybe some other people are or as you would be reasonable to be worried about. When I say you, I don't mean you, Ben. I mean the audience would be reasonable to be worried about. Uh, What I see is a 20, a soon-to-be 20-year-old or a 19-year-old right now who lost all of 2020 his draft season, a prep kid, Lost all of 2020's draft season. Then in 2021, he was still doing a throwing program while being a shortstop in a major league organization at a full season level. Who was forced to uh, the level, not forced, but who earned his way to a level that was just oh, shoot. two. Prom- what happened? You're good. All right. Two, sorry. That was two
0: promotions. I away think from the I mo- temporarily lost signal there for a sec.
1: Ah, okay, good. Uh, but you know who's two promotions away from the major leagues if everything were to go amazing for him a uh, three promotions away from the major leagues like i'm not worried about what happened to Peoria i we're gonna see a more dynamic offensive contributor for Peoria probably to start the 2022 season but even if you take away the the raw hit numbers the average ops slug from him what he's able to do in every other facet of the of baseball as we know it makes him a dynamic talent it makes him dynamic he has d- the dynamic tool that no other player in the organization has and without th- the, that dynamic athleticism that's manifested in a baseball way that maybe i haven't seen in the organization in
0: maybe forever so I think you may have already answered this, but I'm going to ask it because I like the way I worded it in my notes. <laughs> so um, is he the new, he can hit zero and still be enough to help the club and be a starting player to, you know, that Yadier Molina, yeah. that Pete Cosma who can hit zero and, uh, or is this a guy who could literally be a putting it in scouting terms, a 60 plus glove 80 arm 80 speed guy i mean could he be mag sierra on the bases with brendan ryan's glove and scott roland arm so i so it's funny as you were talking about the names where
1: mag sierra is where my mind went like i think worst case scenario you're talking not maybe of the most liked of the likely scenarios the worst of the most likely scenarios is the shortstop version of magnus sierra which is substantially more valuable than the center field version to the left field version. Right. Um, but the dynamic and what changes the conversation with Win as opposed to Sierra is that the other option is that he gets to triple a, he can't hit and he's back to being a dynamic relief option. Uh, because even if he t- spends three years, not throwing, um, that's like, he's better than Rowan Wick was. He's better than Robert Stock was. He's better than Jacob Bosiokovic. Like uh, just some of the converted position players that he's better than Jason Mott uh, from a Ross tool standpoint, when they made their conversion, like, like he's so unique and he's so blessed. And that arm is such a specific and special talent that even if it doesn't work out for him, even if he's uh, the minor league version of Pete Kozma, like, because Pete Cosmo was a major leaguer uh, and still has the potential to be a major leaguer, which makes his career amazing when you think about it. Um, yeah. he just That's how good defensively he is. I think Wynn can do that. I think he still has to shore up some things defensively uh, that his arm makes up for, um, including some, maybe some arm accuracy, but he, what he's able to do does make him special. Um, as you would know, I tend to always be balancing production with uh, prospectability, with with abilities, and if I had concern that Mason Wynn was a little bit of smoke and mirrors, he wouldn't be five. Especially not as much as I love Juan Yepes or Brendan Donovan specifically. He wouldn't be five. Uh, but he just he's a baseball player who plays baseball, uh, and he does it at a speed that maybe not anyone else is capable of doing it.
0: This might be, like, the most random of random uh, connections. Take away the potential pitching aspect of him. Does he remind you of a, potentially, of, like, an Ian Desmond? that shortstop with a great arm that could be athletic enough to move all over the diamond if necessary and has that speed type of guy.
1: Maybe. I don't know if... It- you know when his size might limit him. You yeah. know he's not he's not particularly tall. He's not particularly built, and he doesn't really seem to have the frame that's going to be able to put on like a ton of weight. Uh, I always hedge with Desmond because Desmond had that power potential and that 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 manifested power. You know, I in my mind, like we we talk about uh, Pete Cosma, maybe it was, maybe it's somebody like a. Uh, um, and again i'm going to mispronounce his name but uh hakavaria um edieni uh hakavaria maybe maybe worst case scenario from a or maybe second to worst case scenario from a likelihood standpoint it's something like that uh gotcha. but he you know he just he's so dynamic in everything he does that i mm. cannot envision a situation in which you know like worst case scenario He, uh, i you know i keep saying worst case scenario but like D Gordon, maybe, maybe he's that, you know, uh, with less stolen base, stolen bases. Right. He just, I, th- I think he's, I think he's better than that. I think he has a better base than that. Uh,
0: he's just special. One more question regarding the pitching side. He, I, I want to say Rob reigns or some, I read somewhere, uh, online lately. Did he drop that for the foreseeable future?
1: Yeah, that's, that is correct. Yeah. he, Uh, uh, that was uh, a decision that both he and the Cardinals came to. Um, and, uh, with the, with the thought that he was going to be the shortstop of the future, you know, whenever the future ends up happening, uh, and that dropping pitching would get him there quicker.
0: Okay. Okay. I wonder if this is just pure speculation on my part and you might not have an answer. I wonder if his hitting not progressing as quickly as he would have liked played into that is maybe, I don't know. You know uh, what
1: I think, honestly, now this is, this is, this is speculation. I think based on what we saw last year, that it was never really in the cards for him to be a two way player. Uh, yeah. That, that, that was probably one season of placating and then the Cardinals putting him on a track because.
0: Well, yeah, what, they what they, they had him doing it in the background all year. And then he got into one game in September. Is that right? I don't remember if it was September. It was either late remember, August
1: or early September, or one of the two. One
0: or two games, yeah. No, it was um, one. One, okay. That's what I thought, but I figured I'd hedge my bets. All right, so speaking of actual pitchers, we're getting to the last pitcher on our list next. At number four, you placed Matthew Libertor. Now, we know he's best friends with Nolan Gorman, who's still to come. Uh, we know he was selected to the U.S. national team last year, although the Cardinals – um did not allow him to travel internationally to play because of the need for pitching here stateside in their organization, um, that being like the biggest need in the entire organization last year. Um, what else should we know about him? To what capacity do you feel like he's ready to jump into the rotation in 2022, if at all, um, uh, speaking to what if he joined at the beginning, what if he joined midseason instead of starting the season? And then lastly, um, actually, when we get into his pitches, I'll ask one more question about him.
1: Let's start with what we've seen already in spring training. Uh, one of my big gripes with Matthew Libertor uh, has been he has you know he's tall and sometimes when he lands he lands straight up and it seems like when he lands straight up he loses both velocity and command. So one of the the, the two main things that I've noticed out of the very brief appearance in spring training, is that he appears more athletic in his motion, which means that there's more bend, there's more uh, fluidity into his motion, which means that he's not like landing straight up. There aren't like so many stiff motions in his motion, which are that's positive. The more athleticism you can get in your motion, the better off you are. The second thing I've noticed is that I believe it's a very small tweak, but I believe that he's changed his arm angle and uh, the the path for which his arm uh, uh, starts and finishes. And I think that it's more behind the ear, uh, and a a little bit more direct. And I think those are two very, very solid mechanical adjustments to make. But when you make two mechanical adjustments, that's just extra amount of work that's going to take to get them in line. Uh, he's a very smart kid who has adapted and adopted every modern technology possible to max out his skills all of these things just seem to me like somebody who wouldn't be ready right now, but might be ready pretty quickly when he starts feeling comfortable in game with all of this, because you can simulate as many at-bats as you want, but pitching in game is something completely different. Um, Yeah,
0: Just projecting out here, just trying to think, not projecting statistically, but um, thinking about the two things you said, I wonder if the behind the ear direct delivery is going to be a bit more deceptive coming from that angle. And then, which is obviously a good thing, especially if you can repeat that with all your pitches. And then, uh, obviously, the the more fluid athletic motion, maybe helping him be more durable through through his mechanics and, and throughout the year. And those, those sound like two uh, potentially very good changes to me.
1: Yeah, so they're smart changes. And they're the kind of changes that if it doesn't work out, say that uh, he can't, can he can't continue to repeat his mechanics for some reason. They're easy enough to like revert back or make small changes back to what he feels comfortable. Uh I go on.
0: Another change potentially is um I know you've talked in the past about his fastball likely being his worst pitch. Um the question I had written up was tell me about Libertor's fastball and if he can get it to the point where he can be effective at the MLB level with it or not, but watching him pitch the other day he got that fastball by people high fairly frequently uh much more frequently than i anticipated seeing him do it at least based on what i heard what i'd seen from gifts and like different gifts from minor league followers in the past from your uh posting of things in the past It, it seemed to maybe explode out of his hand a little bit more than it used to and i'm wondering if that's a change that has been made for the, or if those two changes you talked about have been made for the purpose of that fastball. It's worth remembering
1: about Libertor's 2021 season that it was kind of like the tale of two seasons. Uh, It was the first part of the season where his velocity was down and he was getting beat around pretty good. And then the second part of his season where his velocity was back up, sometimes hitting 97, sometimes hitting 96, even getting up to 98. And that's when his fastball was at its best. And what we saw at spring training so far in that one appearance or whatever uh, is that his fastball was back up velocity-wise. He had trouble carrying it into starts. Like, he'd get into the fourth inning, and that velocity would be right back down to 93, 92. He'd start getting hit around a little bit uh, in the second half, even when he was good. But uh, all that's just to say that, like, I believe specifically with him because he has a two-seamer and a four-seamer, both that spin well below average. Not You know, a couple hundred RPMs below average that, at least, again... We're talking about before this offseason. A lot can change in an offseason. You know, these guys work. We talked about these mechanical adjustments he makes. That creates deception. It might also create a little bit more spin here and there. Uh, but the fastball is a below-average pitch, specifically when he isn't throwing it with high velocity. So velocity is the key with that pitch. And I think part of the reason why he was getting it by pitchers uh, hitters up and he, he's always been pretty good at that, especially if he's running his slider up a little bit, uh, even, to, even to righties. Um, but it's all about velocity with that fastball, which is a concern for me. Um, but like, I'm not maybe necessarily as concerned about it as I was in the past, because I'm anxious to see what the little adjustments have become. And then, you know, the... <laughs> The, the, we, we talked about it in another podcast, but his slider is his best pitch. His, fa- his curveball is the most exciting pitch because it's big and loopy and it looks like Barry Zito sometimes and lefties look like jackasses when it, the lefty throws it to him. Uh, but the slider is his best pitch. It, it's, uh, it has above-average RPMs, above-average access. It gets like 40% swinging strikes. It is his best pitch. And if, you know, the changeup is the pitch that he's really worked on. It's, it's the pitch that it, it's probably going to, like, be the make-or-break pitch for how effective he can be if he's going to be just, you know, the middle-tier back-end type or if he's going to be middle-tier with maybe a little bit more bursting at the seams because if he can throw the changeup that he, he demonstrated during 2021 in – unison with the two-seamer, specific, the sinker, specifically to righties on the outside corner, and do that like Connor Thomas thing where he buries that slider in and then uses the four-seam up, he's going to be brutal on righties. And that changes his whole projection because he, he'll always have that curveball to use against lefties to keep them off base. And his ability to command and utilize the slider... Uh, that is already a plus pitch without the command, which the command almost makes it a plus-plus pitch, ends up setting him up for for real legitimate success. Okay. But there is that combination of velocity has to be up, and he has to be using his pitches properly. Uh, And, you know, one thing that I'm concerned about is if Yadier Molina is your regular catcher, you know, I... I love Yadier Molina. He's a Cardinal Hall of Famer. He is a transcendent figure in my lifetime from a sports perspective, maybe even more than that, but he loves a fastball. And when you're talking about a kid who's maybe fastball is his weakest pitch, uh, potentially his weakest pitch in his arsenal, there's a dangerous combo there that makes me worry even a little bit more about where his velocity is, specifically in the middle part of a six-inning affair.
0: Yeah. You might almost have to like somehow have Wainwright go up to him and say, treat Libertor as if he is me and go breaking ball first. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And, Absolutely. And sparingly use that fastball. Yeah. And you know,
1: it, it almost seems to like, uh, and this is, I do not mean this to bash on Yachty, but it's almost like Yachty doesn't have full respect of a slider in the first place. Like yeah, when you think about the way that, you know, even like with Dakota Hudson who has, I don't know, it just, You know, I don't know. I I, I worry that, and maybe it's because a lot of lefties, they're known for curves as opposed to sliders. But I just, I worry about uh, how frequently a slider might be called for Libertor when maybe it should be called like 30% of the time.
0: Now you've got me thinking over the years, like the last decade, which Cardinals starters actually prominently used a slider okay well that's I mean, even, even,
1: even bullpen like you know he's i don't know he's always been kind of weird about the way that his usage and when he selects the slider for like jordan hicks you know i think that's part of the reason why hicks gets beat around a little bit is is it's predictable when the slider is going to be thrown so that means the hitters can hit sit on the the two seam can sit on the sinker um, and then also, you know, the, the whole thing about not using a, a young pitcher's third offering and even right, though they're right, more right, tired right.
0: Is. But, yeah, so anyway, anyways, that, that's, that's I, my I feel like good. he does a better job with that portion of it when the guy is a starter, when you have to go multiple yes. times through the order, though. So hopefully that would be the case with Libertor. Um, speaking of catchers, though, Ivan Herrera is the number three ah. prospect on the Dirty Flirty. Um, I'd love for you to not only talk about Herrera here, but in your article, um, talk about like how the stats, the stats which I am obviously into and consider highly, can lie at the minor league article or geez, lie at the minor league level, uh, like you talked about in the article, especially in conjunction with Herrera's twenty twenty one stats or splits.
1: Yeah, you know, watching Avon Herrera during the twenty nineteen season was like watching a player that was completely different than the twenty twenty one version of Avon Herrera. Uh, You know, these guys, they're working on things. They're getting themselves into situations. They're trying to become the best player that they can be. And one thing that became completely evident to me about Ivan Herrera about two months into the season is that he was trying his hardest uh, to work counts. Uh, We'd see him leave balls over the middle that he normally wouldn't. Uh, He was a little bit more aggressive of a hitter in 2019. And, you know, maybe through talking to some people and, and trying to get a feel for what was going on, It seems like Avon Herrera was just trying to work on working counts and and seeing how he could react in counts, trying to better himself as a complete hitter, uh, get himself into some dicey situations. So you'll see his batting average and you won't be impressed. You might see his OBP and not be completely impressed. You might think, oh, this is a guy who is the catching version of Dexter Fowler uh, when Dexter Fowler was just kind of okay, you know, like – But it's not that it's something different because the way he increased his power while working from behind often in an almost set up manner um, is really impressive. And it was also impressive because you knew he knew when he was going to be getting a first pitch fastball and you could like see his entire body change. And then when he decided to pull the trigger, he'd smoke the baseball. He smoked it every time. So the only concern that I have is, you know, we're, we're hopeful that this doesn't become a Harrison Bader situation where all of a sudden he's letting a lot of good pitches go. Like this has become this, this test to become as good of an and, and as complete of a hitter as possible uh, doesn't end up hurting him in the long run where he's like, oh, I'm going to hold off on swinging at good pitches early and counts. Uh, but he was working at the plate. And that's why some of those other numbers that you might see, uh, those traditional stat lines might not impress you. And why maybe his strikeout total was maybe a little bit higher than I think it, like, that, that'd be one number where I could see, like, decreasing 4 or 5% if if he decides to be just a little bit more aggressive, revert back a little bit more to the 2019 hitter that he was. Uh, but at the plate, like, he made so many positive gains that get completely lost, including hard hit, including, uh, uh, the, you know the way he would hit the ball hard to all fields even though the numbers might not the percentage numbers might not show that he was using all fields like it it was a really really positive season in a lot of ways for avon herrera and he had, he had a little lull there where he wasn't particularly good he was taking some walks uh, and th- when he got out of it he just he looked good he just looked so good
0: Now that I you know had you talk about how the stats can lie at the minor league level, I do want to talk about something that that makes me even appreciate him more, I feel like. Um, he had 98 games played last year, about four just under 450 played appearances and he's a guy who you say is, is is working counts to his to to just to work the counts and like you said he he grew his power he had a 176 iso which um, his previous high in a season with more than hundred plate appearances was 152. His previous high in a season with 200 plus plate appearances was 137. So grew that ISO a lot. We talked about ISO on the last podcast, but slugging percentage minus average. Um, we also, he's also a guy who in his last two full stops somewhere. Um, so not including the four plate appearances he had in AAA this year, not included the 18 games he played at high A in 2019, but instead the 69 games at a ball uh, in 2019 and the 98 games in double A this year, he had a walk rates of 12% in 2019 and 13.7% this year. So this is a guy who's not only working counts to get walks, but he's keeping his K rate low. He is um, still trying to hit for average, still trying to get on base and and growing that power output uh, to the point where he, he's an above average by WRC plus. Um, so weighted runs created plus park adjusted weighted runs created. He's an above average hitter as a catcher and is multiple years below league average age in doing so. So this is not only... A catcher who can stick at catcher, but is kind of excelling on the offensive end too. And and man, that makes for a good number three prospect in your system. Very cool.
1: Yeah, and I uh you know, I, I know that I'm a little bit more controversial here because I put Ivan Herrera before Matthew Libertor. Some people have Libertor as their number one prospect in the Cardinals organization. Some people but I just, you know, a couple words of caution about any catcher. In my experience all these years I've been riding and following prospects, you know Yadier Molina is super special but it, it takes catchers the longest amount of time to gain to grow into their potential. Keep that in mind with Avon Herrera, keep that in mind with Andrew Kisner. Don't forget that. Like these guys even though Kisner is like 27 now at this point or whatever, like he's never been really given the chance to grow into his potential. And if he gets a chance, he still might be able to. And Iván Herrera is the same way, 23 years old or whatever, like give him two years and then let's revisit his potential. Let's see how close he's gotten to it. You know, the the catching position, and maybe it's because I love baseball, but the catching position is the toughest position in all of sports, even more so than goalie. Uh, You know, like those are the first two that come to my mind. I, I can't imagine there being anything more difficult than that those two positions. And I think being a catcher is even more difficult because the amount of days and the, uh, how long you're on your knees and how many times you have to throw the baseball and how much action you see. And then you also have to hit. So keep in mind that catchers take a little bit more time to develop, maybe even to reach their peak. And they might even have the largest chance of like receding from a, from a, a, a prospect or um, production or from ability standpoint, because of how grueling the position is. I don't think that Ivon Herrera is going to fall into any of that. I think he's, we're going to see something pretty special in 2022, wherever he's at. I would assume he's going to be at Memphis, but they've got a whole thing there uh, with Ali Sanchez and <laughs> Clint Coulter and Julio Rodriguez and Yvonne. Uh, uh, you know, like uh, I, I don't, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with Yvonne. So uh, I would assume he's going to be at AAA. That's what I would do. But again, uh, what I do would, maybe potentially be different, but yeah, all, and you know, from a catching perspective too, he's a super tough kid who calls a really good game, who is, is jovial and kind of a team leader and, uh, is filled with a lot of charisma, um, who communicates well and who, while there are some issues with, with framing and maybe some blocking specifically, if he's going to his hand side, um, he's really great at framing the ball low maybe better than maybe even better than Julio Rodriguez uh and he he is relentless in his pursuit of making sure nothing gets by him again i think i think he's a little slow getting to his right, but wait getting to his right his right yeah yeah sorry I'm, we're both old and it's 1130 and we're dying Uh, and so I'm left-handed and I'm going to my left but yeah no so going to his right I think he's sometimes he's a little a little less willing or a little less natural getting as spread out as he needs to sometimes um and he's not going to his to his left he's usually amazing going to his left uh but all of that's just to say that like really strong arm really good pop time he is in line, like there's, there aren't any alarming numbers. A cut stealing is whatever because of the minor leagues and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. But, uh, uh, there aren't, there's nothing alarming about the way he plays defense. That would make you worry about his ability to play defense on a regular basis at the major league level.
0: I know you're not part of the Cardinals organization, but if you're in charge next year and Yadi truly does retire Do you roll with more of a tandem catcher knowing what we have?
1: ah, you know me, I'd roll with the tandem at catcher. I would have rolled with the tandem at catcher last year. I would have, I'd be rolling with the tandem at catcher this year with the thought that I need to be prepared for what might happen in 2023. And there's nothing that I've seen so far that makes me feel comfortable saying one way or the other. And I I hate to be that way because I feel, especially with a lot of the things I've said tonight, and I feel like I'm being disrespectful to a player that I have nothing but love and affection for in Yair Molina. But I, especially early on in the year, I don't get why Andrew Kisner wouldn't get a ton of at-bats, wouldn't get a ton of chances. And throughout the year, why he wouldn't get a ton of at-bats and a ton of chances. Like, you have to be forward-thinking at this point because you've, you've run out your ability to be forward-thinking. This is your last chance. Yeah. So, So, yeah, like, maybe there's a... What I would say is that, I don't know if there's a scenario in which I feel comfortable in any direction. I don't know if there's a way to say Kisner could be able to hold. I look, I believe Andrew Kisner could be your full-time catcher. I believe he could catch 110 out of 160 games and you'd be fine. Uh, uh, but that's me going off of what I saw at the minor league 17 years ago now at this point. <laughs> uh, and then the same thing with the Herrera, you know, but when you get to the majors, it's a whole different beast. It's a whole different beast. And it, especially for a catcher. So Yeah, I I think that, look, I think both, I think just like with Carson Kelly, I think Andrew Kisner is uh, above average producer at the major league level as a catcher. I think the same thing with Yvonne Herrera. Herrera. Um, I just don't know how it all manifests.
0: All right, we have gone probably on enough tangents because this episode, as long as the last three, and we still have two guys to go. So I'm going to try to keep on track, but I just keep having these random questions. So um, you have two number one prospects in your system in Nolan Gorman and Jordan Walker. Was this truly a tie that you could not find a way to break or did you just not want to break the tie?
1: I was trying to make a point more than anything that, uh, you know, I, I, I can't say that Nolan Gorman isn't the best prospect because what he's been able to do defensively, and not just at second base, not just transitioning from third to second in a very short period of time, but you know when he was drafted, everybody was like, oh, he's going to be a first baseman or a corner outfielder. And he became a really good defensive third baseman almost immediately because he worked hard and he worked hard and he worked hard. And every time Nolan Gorman's had an opportunity to like shore up a deficiency, he's done it, which makes him something special. But he doesn't have the hit tool that Jordan Walker has with the, the amount of raw power and in-game power that Jordan Walker has. Like, Jordan Walker is just something special. That bat is something special. Now, there are defensive questions with Jordan Walker, but he has the athleticism where if things get weird, he could play a corner. So the point I was trying to make is you can't pass up someone like Jordan Walker and what he's capable of doing with that bat in any organization I mean, any organization, any organization, the Rays, the uh, uh, the Mariners, it doesn't matter. In any organization, uh, Jordan Walker is going to be a, a one. Potentially, you know, maybe a two in uh, the – I mean, even like Detroit. Like, they've got Torkelson, who was drafted first in that draft. But, like, even then you could almost make the argument. Or Adley Rushman in uh, Baltimore. Baltimore. You know, you,
0: yeah.
1: yeah, you know, like – maybe maybe there that's like that's be like your first big delta you know even Bobby Witt in Kansas City like you could almost get start painting a scenario or make an argument that Jordan Walker could be one there you know I know that he's 30 on a lot of lister in that 20 to 50 range but like you could start to make an argument that's where he's at that's why that bat is so special and it's not that long stupid swing that Oscar Tavares had it's it's a powerful smart compact uh swing it's it's a baseball swing and it's just something special so let oh go ahead no i was gonna say but what nolan gorman gorman is as a complete package is just so much different with so much so much upside that the two of them need to be grouped together with gorman having the clear advantage uh as far as just how productive yet still stuff in the tank there is.
0: So to go along with Jordan Walker's bat, uh, much like Juan Yipez, my projection system absolutely loves Jordan Walker. And this one's just absolutely bananas to me because my system has never liked guys that low in the minor leagues before because I simply, on my projection systems, I enter past data at level. And so for it to have him be a guy who at whatever 20 years old and at A ball uh as a more productive hitter than Bader or Carlson as a major leaguer next year when Walker hasn't hit double A AA or triple A yet and he'll be in his age 20 season Uh, It just blows my mind. My projection system is seeing this out of him, and and that must be what everybody's seeing out of him using the eye test and using scouting tools and all that, too. How quickly could, should, and will the Cardinals move Walker, and where do you think he'd fit in with the Cardinals in, say, 2023 were it to come to pass? Yeah, the should, uh, should is about opportunity for a kid like this.
1: So, you know, to your question, where should he, you know, I think it's just about opportunity. Like, uh, I don't know. I think sometimes like we want to we push these kids and what we really want is we just want them to have an opportunity. Uh, I would like to, like, I've said it before, I could envision, I think it makes a lot of sense for him to start at Peoria. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. I would like to see him push to Springfield. But that's another tough situation too because you want this kid to get a chance to be able to blow up. And he's probably going to blow up if he's, if he's at Peoria. Get him on a good start. Uh, you know, get that bat moving, get it going, and then get him to Springfield. Uh, and then you know, I don't really have a preference about one or the other, like you know, like I said, like I'd like to see them push him to Springfield, I'd like to see him start the year at double A as opposed to high A. Uh, but I don't really care, like, I'm gonna be fine with their decision one way or the other. Um, as far as 2023 goes, I would just remind everybody that this kid with elite exit velocities who can cover a lot of the plate uh, with his big body, who has natural power and natural feel for hitting. Uh, I would just remind everybody that he's still a teenager. And even if he is knocking on the door, let's not push him through it. Like if, if the Cardinals offense is bad, if it's terrible, if, you know, Tyler O'Neill takes a step back. Harrison Bader takes a step back. Uh, DeYoung is as bad as he was last year. Edmund is as bad as he was last year. Aranato is is as bad as he was last year. Goldschmidt is as bad as he was in 2019 or whatever. Uh, Yachty is normal Yachty. Uh, They, like, and Dylan Carlson doesn't stay neutral or get better, like, if, if there is a need for something special and he is continuing to be special and he's taking those adult steps that kids take in their twenties, uh, then yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he factors into 2023, but there's no reason to push him. Even if he is super projecting, even if he is super producing. Gotcha.
0: And now let's bounce over to the one a as to, to the one B with Nolan Gorman. You wrote up when you wrote about Nolan Gorman on your write up of prospect one, a, You wrote a lot of words that just led me to think Tyler O'Neill left-handed. And then you went ahead and wrote, this is something that we have seen with Tyler O'Neill. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of similarities between the two at the same age. First of all, I was pumped because I was reading it the way you intended, I suppose. And second, I was pumped because of the year O'Neill just put up. If Nolan Gorman can be the left-handed version of Ton that Maybe not that we saw last year in the majors, but the, you saw at the upper levels of the minors. Should we go ahead and slot him into second base at this point? Just remember with a kid that is
1: that is power first, that is still working to refine his approach, who is starting to incorporate all fields and is cutting down on his strikeouts, that there is an adjustment period there. Uh, you know... The the power is raw and real, but he still needs to grow into it. The ability to use all fields, especially the oppo gap, is still there, but he needs to grow into it. The ability to cut down on strikeouts we've seen while continuing to increase block rate is there, but you have to grow into it. Uh, So kind of like we talked about with Juan Yepes, I could envision a situation where if you could completely commit to this left-handed bat as your everyday second baseman and let him eat for 600 at-bats, and just whatever happens happens. If the Cardinals had a lineup where they were capable of doing that, then yeah, like I I'm not going to lie to you. I would be completely on board for that. I would have no issue with that because uh, as we talked about with Nolan Gorman's defense, the mo- that's the most just like with Lukan Baker. It's the most impressive thing to me what he's been able to do defensively. Uh you know, he started playing second base at the beginning of spring training last year, and by the end of the year he looked fluid there. There were some Huge bumps along the way. It looked, it looked nasty. I mean, it looked bad at some points. I mean, awful. And even by the time he got to Memphis, it didn't look great. But what he did at Memphis, uh, in the field, to become a really good defensive second baseman, while cutting down on his strikeout rate, even though like a lot of his other stats kind of tanked at the time, they were still competitive at bats. It wasn't like he was giving up at bats to walk. He was still falling things off. He was still hitting the ball hard. It's just It hadn't all fallen into one. It hadn't all fallen into place all at once. That's going to happen, you know. I again look at Tyler O'Neill circa 2017 or 2018. It's so hard to keep because of that stupid COVID year. It would have been Tyler O'Neill circa 2019, where he came up was good, uh, got hurt, went back down to the minors was good, came up was bad. Like there's an entire situation there where. I could see Nolan Gorman completely mimicking that because they're the same kind of hitter. It's when you have that power, when you also have that understanding, when you also have that drive, and when you're trying to cut down on strikeouts and uh, uh, figure out your swing and go up against tough, like handed pitchers. And as a prep player, uh, finding your way through the minor leagues and maybe being pushed aggressively and also asked to make a bunch of changes, just like Tyler O'Neill did. Um, it's not an easy transition to make, even if you are good at AAA because of how hard major league baseball is.
0: All right. So we have talked about when Libertor, Herrera, Walker and Gorman in this episode, uh, Anything that you feel like you've left out on those five before we close up shop on your top 40 prospects in the Cardinal system? Yeah. You know, I, real fast. When I think about Jordan Walker, I just
1: want to say, you know, I, he's again, I just want to reemphasize he's a super athletic kid. Uh, I think he's done a lot of really great work this off season. I think that there's no reason to pull him off a third base just yet. Uh, And I have no doubt that if push came to shove that, with maybe a month worth of outfield reps say that that bat was knocking on the door this time next year, that with a month full of outfield reps that he couldn't fill a fine left field and, and get away with it while his bat, you know, plays at the major league level or the triple a level or whatever it is. Uh, you know, he's got a really strong arm. His speed is underrated. Um, I don't know. I just, I wanted to make sure that we properly touched on Jordan Walker because uh You know, I mean, first off, like, you know, Ben, you know how it is. Like, it's tough for me because there are smarter, more educated, more connected people uh, that will write about Libertor nonstop, that will write about Gorman and Walker nonstop because they are rightfully the flavor of the year, the flavor of the month. They are the guys on the cusp of and filled with excitement. So I don't get as excited talking about those guys. Uh, And because of that, I can kind of gloss over some details because I'm ready to kind of move on to the next but I just wanted to make sure specifically with Walker that we talked about the fact that like he's going to be fine wherever he ends up settling and playing. And the bat's going to get him to the majors, as everyone knows.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for, uh, for doing this with me and allowing me to kind of uh, lead the way this year, so to speak, uh, at least host this year, the Dirty Flirty, because – this is a joy for me. I love being able to just ask you questions and, and lead the discussion and our lead discussion. What am I talking about? I'm not discussing anything rationally here. Um, lead the conversation that you're having with our audience as you do on pad. Um, and, and just me being the conduit through which uh, that occurs. So I appreciate that this year. I, um, uh, I'm glad that you and I could talk and there's really no consternation of this being like a conversations with Saruti or a pad or whatever. It's a mix match of both. And, and, uh, uh, I just, uh, it's been an honor to be a part of it. I love it. It's fun. Um, uh, talking baseball with all the people at birds on the black uh, Kyle does this much better than I do Kyle on pad every week like shouts out every month whatever he does it shouts out everybody on birds on the black <laughs> but just just being able to talk baseball with with the birds on the black people um Cardinals gifts for putting it all together I know that uh that that, that him not being around as much on Twitter lately is as kind of just been a drain on spring training. It's not quite as exciting. You know, he's, he hasn't been able to be in chat. It's not quite as, as entertaining at times, but Kyle does such a great job with the prospects. Um, I mentioned this on Twitter earlier this week that when, when Tara Wellman got back on gateway to baseball heaven with Daniel Shopta and came back with chirps in the past week that just having her around makes Cardinal season better. The way she makes yeah. connections, I, I, she analyzes what what takes me a week to research and 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 see why things happen and for me to write out why I think things are happening based on that research for uh, she just has it click in her mind and then says it uh, I it, it, it's amazing to me I come away with any conversation with her that I either listen to or have with her knowing more about what Occurred in a baseball game. Stu Styles, so fun to talk baseball with. Nick Childress, so fun to talk baseball with. Just everybody I know. Zach isn't around on Twitter anymore, but Zach uh, just teaching me about the me- mechanics of hitting, things like that. Just so uh, please stay tuned in for whatever Birds on the Black does uh, this year. Alex Chrisofoli just uh, one of the most fun writers out there when he gets a chance to, I know he's been super busy and only does chirps for the most part now, but um, just, just so much fun to have uh, with these people. And um, again, thank you again for doing the dirty well, flirty uh, in this, in this space.
1: Yeah, it's my pleasure, Ben. Thank you. You know, I wanted this to be as as conversational as possible and uh, you really brought that and I am, I'm grateful for it because Uh, As is the audience, because what ends up happening if someone else isn't involved, I do it naked, in the shower, (laughs) with the shower going, while I scrub myself clean. Uh, uh, So yeah, to America, thank you, Ben. (laughs) Um, uh, But no, like uh, I also want to thank Daniel Shapshaw, who I usually shower with, and uh, John Denton, who watches us shower together. Uh, No, I mean, all all kidding aside, like, uh, I hope that we brought some information. Uh, I don't know if we did or not, because honestly, I ramble and it's like, I'm like, uh, I don't know. I'm like Will Ferrell in old school where I black out while I'm debating and I don't know what the hell I said when I'm done. Uh, But yeah, just thank you for being a part of this. You know, Ben, if we can find some time, I would like to maybe uh, go over some other stuff. Um, But anyways, you know, stick around for for chirps uh, stick around for conversations with saruti and uh hopefully now that we're in the season we can do more prospects after dark and maybe i'll try writing again here and there or something i don't know who the hell knows but uh <laughs> th- but all that is to say and more importantly than anything uh to gifts we love you
0: bud agreed gifts we'll see you around very soon we hope have a wonderful night listeners um Kyle and I are about done as we started at just before eight and it is about midnight. So um, have a wonderful evening or day or morning or whenever you listen to this and till next time. Adios. I'm so good.